Hello and welcome to the Super Jump Podcast. My name is Mitchell Wolf, and I'm here as always with Editor-in-Chief of Super Jump and my forever co-host, James Burns. Hey James, how are you doing? I'm great, how are you? I am exhausted. um, (laughs) I'm really tired all the time, forever. Um, I've been moving and I've been trying to use every minute that I haven't been moving to get up to date with Super Mario Odyssey in in part because of this episode, in part because of a review for Super Jump that's going to come up soon, but also in part just because, um, man, it's it's a very good game. <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's it's something I've really wanted for a long time, so I'm excited to play it. So I wanted to, um, and I procrastinated moving a lot of boxes by playing this game. <laughs> which is a good thing for me well i'm impressed by the fact that you've had a lot more to do than me in the last couple of weeks and yet you've you're a lot further into mario odyssey than i am so congratulations <laughs> yeah i uh with mario games especially i i have a really like niggling bit of in the back of my head like you have to 100 percent this game so I mm. so I did end up doing what I consider 100%ing the game. There's a few more things I could do, um, mm. but that's just the kind of game Super Mario Odyssey is. But what is the Super Jump podcast, James? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Super Jump podcast is a bi-weekly talk show between you and I. Because you're on it, I would assume you knew about it, James. It's actually kind of disappointing. Spoilers, um, Mitchell. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so this is episode eight of the Super Jump podcast. And we have been gone a week. I apologize for that. We, the week that it would have made the most sense to stop everything and talk about Super Mario Odyssey um, was the week where I had to stop literally everything, including the Super Jump podcast. That's on me. Um, We're not going to do it again in the foreseeable future because other than what I just did this past week, I still don't have that much to do in a general sense. (laughs) <laughs> um, if you like the show, if you've heard it before, if you get to the end of this one and you think, man, what what a swell pair of guys talking about some just some fun things, I would love for you to, uh, to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, if you do use iTunes, man, a, a review would be fantastic if you could review us on iTunes. That helps so much in our search engine optimization or seo as the cool internet cats tend to abbreviate it um that that really just helps us more than than anything else you could do and it would only take about five minutes of your time and also we we get few enough listeners to this show that if you're listening to me say this to you right now i'm actually talking to you person who's hearing me uh if you could if you could and it like don't create an iTunes account if you've never had one before like that might be too much work but if you have an iTunes account and you like us enough to give us a 4 or a 5 out of 5 that would be splendiferous let's talk about Super Mario Odyssey's release James it came out in uh, October of this year on October 27th specifically and I remember that only because it's a pretty huge day um what all came out on october 27th 
Yeah, it's a crazy day that's going to go down in gaming history, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. We had Super Mario Odyssey, we had Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus, and we had Assassin's Creed Origins all on the same day. Yeah, all on the same day. And if you're into that section of pop culture, it's worth noting that the second season of Stranger Things, uh, while not a video game, did come out and that's that's kind of within the same realm of fandom for a lot of people i think um so so there you go it, it, it's just it's our worst nightmare as people that cover <laughs> video games um a slow and steady re, re, uh, release schedule is kind of boring for a lot of people but it's what keeps us sane and <laughs> when something <laughs> like this happens uh we can't cover everything I was talking to I was talking to you before the the podcast started recording James about Assassin's Creed Origins and how in any other year that that could be the biggest release of the year. Mm. Um it, it, it's kind of a it's the biggest it's the baddest Assassin's Creed that there has been and that's a huge franchise. But at the same time like I I ain't got time for that, man. <laughs> I can't well, I can't justify it. Yeah, and I mean, I know that it's always tempting. There's always someone who says, you know, this is the best year for games or the best year in recent memory. That There's always that person every year. But I'm going to be that person this year because, yeah. I mean, just the last couple of months have been crazy. But if you actually go right back to the beginning of the year, um, I mean, it's easy to forget we had Resident Evil 7 this year. You know, we had Breath of the Wild. We had... Um, Horizon Zero Dawn, like we had some crazy, crazy stuff this year. So Neo, we had Near Automata, we yep. had Splatoon Two, we had uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. It just, yep. it's so much. It's so much, and and then in just October, yeah. all of these other things were added as well. A few weeks before that, there was the new South Park game, which everyone seems to love, and I haven't. Yep. I also haven't had a chance to check that out. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, so, I, I feel sorry for the. Uh, I have to admit, I do feel sorry for the reviewers that actually get paid to do this and have to do this as their full time job because, you know, you you get you might get a review code for a game. If you're really lucky, you might get it a week, maybe a little bit more before the game's retail release. And I think if you're going to write a review, like you have to. You have to really play enough of the game. You have to really digest it to be able to think clearly about it and reflect on it. And, you know, in this environment where there are so many games coming out all the time that are so big, uh -huh. you know, to do justice to a game, you've really got to spend time with it. So it's, I can it's, only it's imagine true. these people, yeah. like, churning through stuff 24-7 trying to get through everything. Yeah, it took me a full week um of pretty consistent play although I, I was admittedly as i was saying earlier doing other things as well to really get to a part of super mario odyssey where i felt comfortable starting a review even just starting a review mm. um and by the way are we allowed to say when we got our super mario odyssey co uh, copy our review copy yeah sure yeah it was the day before it came out by like a few hours yeah, that's not enough time. Like we appreciate the free copy, regardless, Nintendo. But I I don't know 
what we would do with that. Like that's reviews are hard, man. They're just they're just difficult. <laughs> well, it's you know it's probably worked out for the best that that we're talking about the game now rather than when we we're originally going to do it because I was thinking about coming into that recording and you know I'd made some notes and stuff, but. I had this real feeling of discomfort about it because I felt like I could give slightly updated impressions. But, you know, at that point, I hadn't really played enough to really be able to reflect on it. And, you know, as you said, like, there's a little bit of time's gone past. I've had a lot more time with the game. And I feel a lot more comfortable now, I think, kind of talking about it as a whole. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do too. Um, so let's, let's just get into it. By the way, we are going to have two sections of Super Mario Odyssey discussion in this episode. There will be the first section that we're about to jump into that has no spoilers whatsoever. We're going to try to keep it squeaky clean. And then the second section of the show, I'll try to maybe splice in a little bit of music to divide up these two things, uh, where we will have a good amount of spoilers uh we're, we're going to talk about pretty much everything um so if you're if you're sensitive to spoilers there will be none until the music uh and if only if you only care about this uh the spoilers wait until the music okay um that's out of the way james what were your initial thoughts on super mario odyssey like hour one or two into the game what'd you think uh Oh, good question. Uh, hour one and two into the game was pretty much... The first hour was sort of pretty much what I'd already played. That's right, um, that's right. The big... I guess the nice thing this time was that because there were no time limits, I was able to just explore at my own pace a little bit more. Um, I think the number one thing that surprised me, and I and I don't think this is a spoiler... Um, the number one thing that surprised me straight away was just the fact that there actually is a, um, a, a much more kind of linear flow to the, to the game than I had expected, even from playing all of the demos. You know, I'd kind of been dropped into these different areas to play segments, but I hadn't really been able to see how they're tied together. Yeah. And it's the way they're tied together that, that sort of struck me initially as being unexpected. Um, and I, I quite liked it. I think it worked quite well. That, um, that's definitely interesting because it's marketed itself as one of the most open... Well, I, I don't think it's fair. Maybe it's not fair to say that it's marketed itself as the most open Mario game. But uh, that, that was the general consensus. We were coming into this believing this is the most sandbox of the sandbox Mario games. And um, of the non-linear 3D Mario games, those being... Super Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, and this, I think this is probably the least non-linear. There, there is a, um, a, a, a very present linear pathway through the game, um, which is something I didn't expect exactly. I, I thought that was pretty left field, actually. Yeah, and it's interesting because on the one hand, it's the most linear of the sandbox games, but on the other hand, it's the least linear as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it it kind of 
walks the tightrope between both at the same time, which is mm-hmm. really, really interesting. Um, and I think just the other thing that I was, I wouldn't say concerned about, but curious about was how I was going to go with the controls. Um, because, you know, as I said, as I've said before, I, um, I don't normally play the Switch with the detached Joy-Cons. And that yeah. seems to be the way that Nintendo recommends playing this game. Um, so I would I thought, argue okay, that detached Joy-Cons are the least intuitive way to play out of all the different options you have on the Switch. Yeah, that's generally the way I feel. Um, and and other than this game, and I mean something like ARMS, um, I never play that way. I never choose to play that way. Mm-hmm. So coming into this, I thought, okay, I'm going to start it off. I'm going to play the way they recommend and see how I go. And it was actually fine. It's actually, I got used to it very quickly. And now it's just the way I play every time. It's it's pretty much the way I've played the whole game all the way through, except some spots where I played in handheld mode. Now, tell me about your experience in handheld mode, because I haven't had... Um like any time in handheld mode i've basically been sitting in front of a tv every time i've played yeah um two things two main kind of observations one is it's just it's just amazing how well optimized nintendo's games are on the switch um if if you like from seen... a frame rate point of view like that kind of thing uh, frame rate and just the, the the different tricks they pull to get the game running in handheld mode, but looking just as good as it as it does in TV mode. And there are obviously sure. some slight visual compromises, but nothing highly noticeable. Um, I think Nintendo have gotten really, really good at scaling their games up and down, um, and it works really, really well. Um, so performance-wise, it's really impressive in handheld mode. Um, in terms of controls, you it's weird. You can use gestures or you can use motion controls if you're willing to, like, flick and shake your whole switch, which I'm not. Sure, um, no, I won't. I will never. <laughs> that, there's no It's way. ridiculous <laughs> that they would ask that of me. Yeah, there is no way I'll be doing that. Um, so I just played it without motion controls and it actually is fine without motion controls um there are a couple of moves a couple of really specific things you can't do as far as i know without motion controls but those things seem to me to be fairly inconsequential unless you are like speed running the game or something um you know i never came across a scenario where I was limited in such a way that I just couldn't do a normal thing, you know, that I just couldn't get a moon because I didn't have motion controls. So I was a little bit worried that playing without motion controls would be really limiting. It's really not. Um, it do- But it does mean there are a couple of scenarios where you're missing out on a couple of moves and those moves are related to when you've captured certain enemies. Um, yeah, so there's there's a few things, there's, there's a few different kinds of motion controls in Super Mario Odyssey. Uh, the yeah. first is just a flare. Um, so 
one that comes to mind is when you turn into um you see this one in the trailers all the time so i don't think it's a spoiler you can turn into a, a little bolt of electricity and run down a wire um when you do that if you shake the controller you uh throw a bunch of sparks out of the wire and i'm pretty sure it doesn't actually get you there any faster it's just a visual flare um i don't mind that at all then you have things that are specifically optimized for motion controls like spinning mario's hat in a circle around mario where that can technically be done in in a button layout by swirling the control stick in a circle and then pressing the button the the throw button Mm. um but that's definitely made for motion controls again i don't mind that so much because there is a button option Uh, Mm. when you get to the point however where you get the third kind of motion control in the game which is you throw the hat further if you shake than if you just press Y. Or your hat can actually home in on enemies where if, if you shake to throw the hat instead of pressing Y to throw the hat. That isn't great, in my opinion, because it's an artificial extension. It's just a reward for shaking the controller versus pressing a button. And I'm not even sure why that is. I, I, I think the controls feel great, if you're in a position where, like I am, where it was easy for me to detach the controllers from the Switch and, and play with them detached, it wasn't optimal. I would have preferred uh, the Pro Controller, and I did play with the Pro Controller a lot, and it was pretty much the same, actually. I would recommend you play with the Pro Controller if you're really not into the idea of the, of the detached Joy-Cons. But for, for other people, um, like I, kn- I know a guy with, with bad wrists, and he's just not going to use the motion controls as often as anyone else. And mm. he's at a disadvantage. Uh, he's he is. I notice him playing the game slower than he probably would have. Um, mm. I, I know some friends, I haven't talked to them recently. I, I, don't, I don't know if they've picked up Mario Odyssey with uh, cerebral palsy. And I'm not sure if this game is accessible enough for them. Mm. And this mm. is a Nintendo game where accessibility has kind of been their thing for a really long time. So I don't know. I, I, I can't exactly get behind these motion controls. Um, as, as an option, they seem they, they are great. I like using the motion controls, and I, I don't say that very often. But this is um, all of these motion controls, like all of the specific gestures you're, you're going to use in the game feel very immersive uh for lack of a better word because i don't think it's Mm. you know actually what people talk about when they talk about immersion in video games but like i want to shake at certain points and and it helps like it does the thing i want it to do and and it feels like me shaking is somehow parallel to what's happening in the game Mm. but um that's only good as an option. I as a required thing. I, I don't know if I can get behind it. If there's a Super Mario Odyssey two, I really hope this aspect doesn't return. Um, at least in a mandatory way, like it does now. Um, yeah, I think there are a lot of nuances to the motion control that you know. A lot of the main actions are, are pretty, um, you know, one to one between motion and non-motion, but. Um, 
you know, I think there are a lot of kind of nuances with the motion control that you, you're just not going to get if you're just not going to get that feeling if you're playing without motion controls. Mm -hmm. So, you know, although it's true that you could play the game and probably finish the game and all the rest of it, you could also argue that you're not getting the kind of the genuine experience or the, the fully intended experience in a way. Yeah. It, it, it's just, um, this is the main Mario game for Switch. Even if other games come out after this, this will be the one that if, if someone says, hey, what's the Switch Mario game? Even if they come out with like three other main series Mario games, I'll, I'll point to this one. Uh, this will be the one. Mm. And um, it, it, it's a bit disheartening that I can say this game is amazing. This game is awesome. You shouldn't play it if you have an issue with uh, motion controls in in a real way um, that you you can't get over. That's it's just, it's a blemish. I think it's a blemish on a pretty good experience. Um, but that's like one of the few very bad things I can say about the game. Everything else has really knocked it out of the park. Uh, I definitely think it lived up to the hype as well as it could have. Uh, and there was a lot of hype, especially with me. Um, what what do you think about your expectations of this game versus what was what what came out of it? I think the thing that uh, the thing that made me happiest, um, and this is something I probably should have expected anyway. But even though I'd I'd played it um, and I had a fairly good idea of how it feels and what it would be like to play. Um, what impressed me was that it still continually has the capacity to surprise you. Yeah. Um, there were so many points in the game where I was just amazed at what I was seeing or, you know, amazed by just the, the sheer cleverness and inventiveness of something. Um, there is there is kind of a lot of that packaged within some relatively confined spaces in this game. Um, and I think that's the thing that impressed me the most. So I had pretty high expectations coming in as I would for any new Mario game. It definitely lived up to those, but I was more impressed by playing this than I was say when I first played Super Mario 3D World you know, for example. Yeah. I know, feel like that, that's that an definitely, easy target. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, you know, that definitely had some surprises and it was certainly an excellent game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was some there was some creative ideas in this that were just unbelievable where I was sort of saying, I have no idea where they got that from. I don't know how they came up with that, but that's incredible. And there's something about a new mainline Mario game that I think should be doing that, that should be somehow showing you new game design ideas that you haven't seen before. Yeah, well, that's what they've used it for. Uh, that's what Mario as a character, pretty much since, since I guess since Super Mario World showed off what the Super Nintendo was all about, that's kind of been Mario's whole thing. Yeah. Um, Every new installment of Mario shows off something new that system can do, or something new that Nintendo has uh, discovered in terms of like 
approaches to gameplay design so, something mm-hmm. like that and uh this is no exception this is the switch's capability this this is what new nintendo this is what switch era nintendo is all about and um i'm i'm all in if this is what the future of switch era nintendo looks like and i haven't been all in on nintendo since like i've liked them a lot but all in probably since gamecube yeah um yeah like there there were some wii and wii u era stumbles on nintendo's part that i um i I just was not on board for and here i i'm on board uh this is (laughs) this is great (laughs) like i'm i'm just really happy about it um how about how about the length of the game um some some people are saying that it's uh too long too short too easy too hard um I'm seeing all of those come up, actually, so I'm, I'm not sure if there's a consensus, but uh, w- what did you specifically feel? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I don't think there's a consensus there. Uh, well, for me, I think the the big observation for me is that the main, the main sort of um, story progression, for lack of a better term, was a little shorter than I would have liked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once I realized that the game was guiding me down this central pathway, even though I could kind of veer off and explore to the side, um, once I realized what it was doing, I wanted more of that. I really enjoyed that cadence, um, you know, the way that you would, you'd solve a, a particular challenge in an area, you'd move on, you'd fight a boss, you'd solve another challenge, etc., etc. I really enjoyed that progression and I wanted to see more of that. Um, but on the other hand, you know, and, and I think it's no spoiler to say that um, a huge, huge part of this game takes place after you beat the final boss. So, um, you know, you, you if you're just thinking about the story progression, then you might think it's a little short. But if you take the game as a whole and all of the challenges it offers up, it's it's pretty big. I mean... I think, I think I will easily have sunk maybe forty hours, forty-five hours into the game before I can really sort of say that I'm completely done with everything I want to do. Yeah, and that's a pretty decent investment. I mean, there are some RP, you know, that's starting to get into kind of RPG territory in some games. So I, it's kind of what you make of it, I guess. Um, how do you feel about the length of it? Well, it's interesting because there is a lot to do, um, but you can get to the end of the game and, and beat the final boss if that's the thing you want to. Uh, like, if that's the thing you want to be the final boss, it is the final boss. You can beat that pretty quickly. Um, I mean, the speed runs right now are just crazy, but they're they're already down to about an hour. Um, yeah. And and I don't. I watched one of them, and I don't think there's anything in that one-hour speedrun that's too far-fetched for an average player to at least work up to. So mm. I would say that if you really put your mind to it, you, James, you at home, um, <laughs> could beat the game in three hours. Easy. Um, if you know what you're doing, if it's like your second pass at it. Um, 
And if you're trying for speed rather than just walking around. But there, but there is so many. There are so many things to do. It's a bit weird because um, being a uh, a non-linear sandbox game, what that means is that you can't just have a bunch of levels. Like Super Mario Galaxy has so many levels, mm. and uh, there are a good deal fewer in Odyssey. Because those level, levels are much bigger and filled with so many more things to do. Um, so you're going to be spending a lot more time in a lot fewer places. Yeah. So that'll feel short. But I think it's very rewarding to explore a place... Like, explore a place dry, to, like, to, to, to learn everything that you can about this area in Super Mario Odyssey. In a way that, in a 3D platformer, it usually isn't so much. You keep learning about what, um, like, everyone's seen the Sand Kingdom. It's one of the most marketed, advertised kingdoms in the game. There are so many things to do in that kingdom. It's crazy. That alone... Yeah. Um, probably about five hours to 100 percent. just that level like if, if you're if it's your first time and you're really diligent about getting everything probably about five hours for one level and there are a lot more levels so um yeah and it's yeah. it's sort of it's cliche to say that they that the developers reward exploration but they really do in a way that's in a very literal way i mean um you can there were several moments where i'd jump back into a kingdom and i'd be kind of running around exploring and i'd be thinking you know i think i've done everything here i can't you know it looks like i've explored everything but there'll be some small thing that i'll notice and it might be a change um and that's one thing that is really interesting about super mario odyssey the way that the kingdoms constantly change uh depending on you know where you're at in the game, mm-hmm. um, and you might you might find some tiny little thing. You might find a crack in the wall, or you might find a door, or you might find a cave that's really hidden. And when you go in there, it will open up into this whole other kind of big platforming challenge. So there's a lot of stuff in this game where you really have to dig under the surface. It it doesn't just you know as much as you could say. Well, it's a fairly easy game in terms of you know, dying and game over and like that sort of thing. On that, in that sense, it's quite forgiving. But to actually dig under all those layers and find all the secrets, I think that's really where the challenge is here. And that's quite a shift. I would say that's a shift even from sort of Mario 64 and Mario Sunshine. And yeah. so if you go into it and you just, you're just expecting that straight out platforming challenge you're you're probably missing a lot yeah um this is by the same team at nintendo the tokyo team the the tokyo branch of nintendo epd that did super mario galaxy 1 and 2 super mario 3d land super mario 3d world and uh incidentally also donkey kong jungle beat but that's neither here nor there um so this is a team that got really good 
that got a lot of practice at doing linear-based kind of obstacle course-based 3D Mario games. And this is their first time. Um, Although there are a lot of crossover individual personnel from people that worked on 64 and Sunshine, this is the team's first time doing a sandbox game. And in in a lot of ways, I think it shows. In some positive, and and some maybe less than positive. Some might even say negative. Uh, I I probably wouldn't go that far. But the, the Tokyo team mastered this really succinct, very flexible, very versatile three-act structure for Mario levels where they introduce a concept at the beginning of the level in safety. Um, then they introduce this second thing and then they inter- uh, uh, they, they have you do both of those things in, in, in danger where you if you fall off the platform while you're doing it or if you get touched by the enemy, you will lose that level. And then finally, in the third act, they will put those two things together. Um, it, it's very good, classical, traditional, structured video game design that they got better and better at, in my opinion, from Galaxy to Galaxy 2 to 3D World. And I, I'm wondering what their internal process was in realizing hey, that doesn't exactly work in a sandbox game. What's going to go on? Because in Super Mario Odyssey, that structure still shows up a lot. Like, a lot. Mm. Um, Anytime you go into, like, one of those smaller platforming-based areas that you mentioned earlier, that that three-act structure comes right back. And all of a sudden, it's exactly like one of those linear Mario games. Um but then you go in the overworld and uh it's less like that and i'm i'm wondering if they couldn't find a structure that really matched the versatileness the consistency and uh just the the overall quality of their linear three-act structure for non-linear gameplay so they just had a non-linear world with a bunch of linear things in it um i i was kind of excited to see maybe they're gonna find like a structure that works that way but is non-linear it's gonna be a different structure but they did end up using the same structure uh, i can't complain because it's still really good like it works all the time and it gets me uh expecting one thing and just because they're very good at what they do they'll they'll turn it around and change it on me somehow and i'll, I'll almost always be surprised um yeah. But it would have been interesting to see if they uh, took that in more of an open direction. Well, I think your your last point there really touched on an important design decision with this game, which is there are several moments in the game where they deliberately move between those different structures dynamically within one challenge. Mm-hmm. Or they... There, there are a couple of places, and we there's one in particular I want to talk about in the spoilers section. There are a couple of places where they actually fuse those different structures together. They they crash them into each other, which feels very different 
and very original when you're playing that segment. And I actually, I, w- I don't know if I'd call it a, a criticism, but some of those moments where they deliberately kind of crash those things into each other, those very different concepts, um, I actually wish I'd seen more of that all through the game. It seems to be the case that you see some of those things when you're a little bit deeper in and you're you're getting to the slightly more difficult areas of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but so if they do a sequel to this, which I would be very happy with, um, yeah, I'd love to see them push that further. Like, how do we take that that open exploration, the more linear kind of three part cadence design? And then the 2D pixel design, how do we tie those together in an even tighter way through the whole game? I think that would be a really interesting thing to explore. Now, um, this is the, I would say, the third really big release for the Switch this year. Um, The first two being Breath of the Wild and Splatoon 2. Splatoon 2 being... um, kind of kind of a sleeper big title because Americans in general and I, I don't know how big it is in Australia right now but in Japan oh my god it's huge it's enormous yeah. in Japan um, has Super Mario Odyssey finally gotten rid of like every stigma about the Switch I, that's a big question I know but I feel like a lot of the uh, the criticisms of the Switch have been that it's mainly Wii U ports or, like, soft sequels to Wii U games. Um, and that it just doesn't have very many games. And now that, now that we're here, does, does that hold anymore? Does that still... Is that still valid? Um... Oh, look, I'm, I'm biased on this because, well, part of the reason I'm biased is because there are some Wii U games that I wanted to see ported to the Switch Yeah. Um, just because I want to play them on the go and because I think a lot of people probably missed out on those games. So um, in that way, I'm, I, I'd probably like to see... There are some other games I'd like to see ported over that haven't been already, but... You want that Mario um, Maker. Yeah, absolutely. That would be brilliant. Um, Tropical Freeze. Yeah. Um, but I think... I, I think it's hard to argue... It's it's hard to argue in any way that, that what we're seeing with the Switch is like... Um, is in any way kind of a retread of the experience we had with Wii U or that the Switch is relying too heavily on the Wii U library. I mean, it's it's pretty rare to see a big new Zelda, a big new Mario, um, you know, a new franchise in terms of ARMS coming out all in the same year. Um, and it's, it's, it's sort of weird to think that the Switch hasn't even been out a year yet. That's the other thing we have to remember. It's only been out since March. So we've still got a few months until we get to that first year anniversary. Um, it's it's hard to say, you know, what the general reaction is, except for the fact that the sales pretty much speak for themselves. And just in terms of what I read online, the comments online, 
I am, it's just anecdotal, but I am noticing a shift where I think a lot of people initially were very dismissive of the Switch, but now I'm seeing more and more people actually say, oh, I'll buy that game if it comes to Switch. Yeah. You know, um, even in terms of my group of friends that are gamers, that are probably more of them are sort of PlayStation diehards more than Nintendo people, but... I'm getting more and more questions about the Switch. I'm getting more and more people talking about, you know, buying them for Christmas and that sort of thing. So I feel as though if there was a hump there, I feel as though we're over it. Um, but, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, with, with um, in, in the past, it's always been... There's always been an excuse. Whether it's been valid or not, it's been there. Um, yeah. The Breath of the Breath of the Wild is a Switch game, but it had a Wii U port, and that means that it's the same thing to some people. Yeah. Um, Splatoon Two is a new game, but it's a very similar game to Splatoon One in a lot of ways. Uh, some people would say that it's one of those soft sequels. Um, Pokémon and Mario Kart Eight were actual Wii U games. Uh, Arms is a very niche game and everything else came out on other systems this is the first game i i think where like there just is not an excuse anymore this is the switch is its own thing it has it um it has super mario odyssey and that's one of the biggest things to have this year and of this year like that's a that's a huge year um yeah i i, I don't think there's any more there's there's no more excuses that you can give the Switch's uh, library or your perceived lack of the Switch's library. Now, we're going to take a break, guys. We're going to put on some music for you. When we come back, we will be going into spoiler discussion for Super Mario Odyssey. So stay tuned. Okay, and we're back with more discussion of Super Mario Odyssey, but this time with spoilers. So, spoiler warning, if you didn't get it before, if you're sensitive to spoilers about this game, turn it off, uh, turn the episode off now, or just uh, skip to the end. Up to you. James! At the end of this game, you can just buy moons. Yes, you can. And you I can buy an infinite bit number weird of too. them. Yeah. It's I, ridiculous. You, can can you buy is there a limit to how no, many No, there's you can not. Buy? There is no limit to how many moons you can buy. It's so, silly. It's stupid. <laughs> I hate it. So, <laughs> so okay, so hang on a minute. How many 
because I've read different accounts on this. I don't actually know the figure. Do you know how many moons there are in the game in total? Like unique ones? Hmm. Um, I think I heard the figure like 800. It, I think it's 880. Okay. Pretty sure. So, I've also heard 830, though, after I was pretty sure about 880. So <laughs> it's one of those two. And one there's of those two obviously numbers. like 57,000 if you just buy them. So... Uh, if you just buy them, your total moon count will eventually get locked at 999. Oh, okay. Now okay. check this out, James. The total number of moons that it can register that you have is 999 but if you don't just buy them the total number of unique moons is somewhere in between 800 and 900 however would you believe something happens at 999 moons something happens yeah you unlock (laughs) another thing what miyamoto flies out to your house and washes your feet well this is this is the spoiler section so i i guess i'll just tell you (laughs) Yeah. Peach's castle gets a big top hat. The the castle itself gets a top hat on the top spire. Oh, and if okay. you go up to the top hat, you swirl the moon uh, the your your hat around it. Uh old old like Super Mario Bros. 1 style fireworks start shooting off from behind the castle. And that's it. It lasts about 3 seconds of fireworks. It's not <laughs> much, but you do unlock a thing for getting more than there are moons. Wow. <laughs> I it's it's one of those things where it's like this is technically a small part of the game. It's a very mm. small nitpick to have, but it annoys me so much. <laughs> and like I'm I'm writing the review. It's not gonna go in the review. But it really I really want to put it in. <laughs> like it, it's very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of confusing to me because even the ability as you're as you're going through the main game and you've you know you you haven't beaten the last boss yet, you know how you can go through and you can buy you can already buy moons from the the crazy cap store anyway. Right, but you can only um, buy one from each kingdom. Yeah, that's right. You, you can the buy game. the one from each kingdom. Which even that, I actually thought that was a little bit odd um the fact that it was in every kingdom as well i thought that was a little bit odd now if if you want a reason that might make you feel a little bit better about it because i felt a little (laughs) bit better about it after thinking about this Mm. it costs 100 uh of the gold regular collectible coins right to buy a moon in super mario 64 and super mario sunshine if you got a hundred coins on any level, you want you got a secret star or a secret sh- uh, shine sprite. So really, this is just a continuation of that. You get a hundred coins on a level, you get one of the collectibles. Oh, okay. It it make it made me feel a little bit better about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that does make sense. Um, but when I finished the game and I I realized I, I saw that there were these moons for sale, and I'm like, oh, okay, there's another one there. And another one. And another one. Yeah. And I'm thinking... And it gives so, you the option, do you want to buy 10? And I'm like, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, sort of, I'm sort of looking at it and thinking, well, hang on. So does this mean, though, that I've collected... Like, how do I phrase this? Does this mean that 
I get to I'm gonna get to a point pretty pretty quickly where there are no more moons I can collect out in the world, and my only option to get however many the maximum number is um, is to just buy them and to just collect coins. Um, yeah, um, if you're asking that that maximum moon peach's castle top hat bonus is the only way to get that to grind coins yes that is yeah that is the only way to get that it feels like we're talking about destiny grinding coins yeah <laughs> like we can talk about the post-game grind in a mario game it's really weird um so many things about this game are so clever and this is so dumb <laughs> it's it's so uncharacteristically dumb but that's that's what it is um yeah i mean i guess i wonder if uh, i wonder if um there are any players that get to a point where they where they're quite happy for their only remaining objective to be go to each of the kingdoms and collect as many coins as you can and and you know the coins amassing enough coins is your objective in a way that's you know, my the moons that's are obviously a reward for that but yeah i've bought everything else at, at the store every costume and i have every other moon and every purple coin mm. um i have not b- bought an artificial amount of moons on top of the ones i already have in order to put a top hat on peach's castle i haven't done that um but it's the only thing left on my save file to do mm. I don't think I'm ever gonna do it. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't see myself ever doing that. But um, man, it's just it's so uncharacteristic of Nintendo to to do that. I my assumption is that it's padding for players who don't buy a hypothetical DLC that puts the moon count up to 999 moons actually. But they put that padding in the game before they even announced any DLC. That's my hypothesis for why that is the way it is. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm right. I feel wrong about that, but that's my only guess. <laughs> I mean, I almost see it as being really pretty equivalent to the Korok seeds in Breath of the Wild. Um, yeah, I think so you know, too. It, and, and, and I wonder if I could be, this could be a total false memory here, but I'm sure I've heard someone at Nintendo at some point say they they recognize that a lot of players, and, and maybe this is particularly for the younger players, that a lot of players might only get, you know, one game a year or one game, you know, a couple of games a year for their console and they add these things in so that that player can kind of has some reason to come back and do something in the game over a long period of time, you know, but there's the acknowledgement there that a lot of players definitely will, you know, they won't, they won't be doing that. They'll get to a point where they finish, they say, right, I've had enough. I'm moving to the next game. Um, I, I wonder how much of it is a decision to cater for those scenarios as well. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up the Korok Seed comparison because 
I think the power moons in this game are a lot like Korok seeds in a lot of ways, but in other ways, they're not like them at all. Because mm. the Korok seeds are a lot of repeated puzzles. Um, a lot of the time, if I was going to climb a mountain in Breath of the Wild, that would maybe take a, a long time. And I'm doing it because maybe there's a shrine. Like a shrine up there would be a pretty good reward. But if that's not one of the mountains with a shrine on it, all I'm going to find is is just some open space. Maybe there's a Korok seed there. That, that'll, like, placate me a little bit, right? Mm. Um, and in that way, it's not the main collectible in Breath of the Wild. The main collectibles are the, the shrines and mm. the orbs you get for finishing the shrines. In Super Mario Odyssey, the game is built around the power moons. The, the, the power moons are the thing to get. So while I, I don't think Korok Seeds encourage completionism, in fact, if you get all of the Korok Seeds, you're rewarded by the, <laughs> the main Korok giving you his his poop in a symbolic <laughs> gesture implying that no player, you should not have gotten all of the Korok Seeds. Um, <laughs> if, if you get all the Power Moons... Um, Something happens when you get all the unique power moons, and then another thing happens when you get this impossibly high 999 power moons. Um, like, it, it encourages completionism. Like, you, I feel like I'm supposed to get those. Yeah. Um, so when you do this whole buying and selling of moons, I just, I don't know. I just don't know what's up anymore. Maybe it's good game <laughs> design and I'm wrong. I have no idea. Um, but that's... <laughs> again this is a really small thing i just wanted to bring it up i haven't had like a a real person to talk to about this so i wanted to start with that um there's a lot more other things there's a lot of other things we can put in this spoiler section of the show uh mainly the the different levels what was your favorite level in the game the your favorite kingdom um it's probably tied between oh it's probably tied between two with a close runner-up um my my two absolute favorites are new donk city and mushroom kingdom mm -hmm. those um, are pretty good yeah i was so excited to see you can actually get to mushroom kingdom before the end of the game but you can't get across like you get to a little um floating island um, yeah that's yoshi's where you can house see it. yeah i love that yeah i thought that lives. was he's on a floating island just outside he's... of the castle <laughs> yeah yeah he's on a cage without he's in a cage with no bars um <laughs> so <laughs> um and, and, of course, I spent ages running around that little island trying to figure out how the hell I can get across to the Mushroom Kingdom, to the castle. I bet speedrunners um, are going to figure it out. Oh, I yeah. bet there's going to be a way, eventually. There's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. But, um, yeah, I really love that. Sorry? Just some combination of jumps can, can maybe... Like, I, I actually tried it, too. I don't think there's, like... A normal way but if you if you abuse the game if you abuse the game a little bit i'm sure someone can crack that open eventually yeah, yeah. there's got to be a way to do it it's it's because when you get there it's kind of begging you to jump across you know mm -hmm. um 
So New Donk City and Mushroom Kingdom are my two favorites, and my runner-up is probably Sand Kingdom, just because of how absolutely massive it is, and I love when it goes between day and night, and the oh, weather yeah. change, and it, it seems to be a kingdom that has a lot of different changes going on. Um, so they're, they're probably my top three. I'm cheating a little bit and doing a top three. What about you? Um, well, my number one favorite is also the Metro Kingdom or New Donk City. I, I think that's just like a slam dunk. That is a new classic for the, in, in, in the Mario canon, that will now be a thing that people talk about. They, like, they're going to say, oh yeah, I, I like the, the Mushroom Kingdom. I like Mario, Luigi, Princess Peach, Yoshi, uh, New Donk City. Like, it will be a new thing. I hope they come back to it. I, I hope Odyssey mm-hmm. 2... Maybe it'll start in New Donk City. That'll be the the, the big twist on it. Yeah. Um, and I hope Pauline, mayor of New Donk City, shows up in like Mario Kart or something. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, but it, but one I wanted to talk about was the Ruined Kingdom, which is, yep. I, I I think it's pretty exemplary of the just the life that super mario odyssey gives its uh levels and locations it's just a boss arena but the aesthetic is so interesting it's Mm. very dark souls-esque not in any mechanical way just the way it looks um and it's just a boss arena that it it could have been a stadium in the sky and it could have or it could have just been the cloud kingdom again because we've been there before uh, yeah. And that was a boss arena too, but if you open the pamphlet, the the map screen, you can read about how the civilization that lived in the ruined kingdom uh, tried to harness the power of lightning and was smote f- uh, for it. They they played with fire or lightning, as it were, and mm. <laughs> their their kingdom was ruined for it. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a thing that happens in a Mario game. You don't yeah. learn about an ancient kingdom that has this whole backstory. That you're you're on that kingdom for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that. Um, yeah, yeah. For, for yeah, that's every, very cool. For every little thing about like the amount of moons that are possible to get not adding up, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's like five great things about this game that I can just like think about for for hours like the ruined kingdom or the cloud kingdom or whatever yeah. um but yeah new donk city is definitely number one still it's a very good it's a very good level uh the yeah. verticality of it is is amazing mario's always been so athletic in giving him it's the ultimate playground to jump from building to building and do backflips and big jumps and everything it's a good game it's a good game james <laughs> yeah it's a good game it's all right it's it'll all right. do yeah. Um, I so, wanted to talk about... Oh, I'm sorry. What was that? No, well, I was just going to ask you, um, because we talked about, you know, the whole linear story progression and then the fact that you've also got these challenges you can do outside the main story. Yeah. I did want to ask you how you actually approached it. Like, so did you kind of go from a to b beginning straight through to the the end and then 
do all the challenges or did you play it very differently where you did all the, the challenges as you went along? Are you still talking New Donk City or just the game in general? Just the game in general, because oh, okay. especially now that we're in the spoiler territory and you can talk about some of the end end game yeah. stuff as well. So every level before the end of the game has two main objectives. The first of which is what the game actually tells you the objective is, which is to solve the crisis of whatever kingdom you're in. Usually that's beating one of the Brutals, which are those weird uh, bunnymen that you see planning Bowser's <laughs> wedding. Uh, but it could be something else entirely. It's usually boss-oriented. There's a boss to fight almost all the time. But uh, but yeah, that's the first main objective. Finish that story, bring peace to that kingdom. The second one is to just get enough moons to go to the next place. Because moons are your, your, uh, your airship's fuel. It, it it takes the fuel, the power from the power moon, converts it into fuel. Um, wasting a lot of a lot of moons, uh, Greenpeace would have a field day with this one, <laughs> just taking away all of the spiritual energy out of these amazing artifacts and converting it into fuel for your car, Mario. <laughs> but um, if if we hadn't have pulled out of the Paris Agreement, Mitchell, yeah. <laughs> we couldn't have had this game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But um, what I didn't know is that you could, like, I, I only found out this by watching a speedrun. You can just not solve the problem of that kingdom. You could just get enough moons to leave and go to the next place. So you could oh, okay. end up with a game save that, like, has none of the problems solved. Wow. And, and you can still, so does that mean you can, you can do that and then get to the last boss and fight the last boss without having fought the previous bosses. Yeah. Um, there's certain exceptions. Uh, the cloud kingdom and the ruined kingdom specifically are just boss battle arenas. And the number of moons that you need to leave are equal to the number of moons that you get from the boss. And there's no other moons to get, or there might be like one or two, but not three, which is what you get for beating the boss. Um, so those you have to do, and then the final boss you'd have to do, and that's, that's minimum. I think it might be faster sometimes to still just go through the story because story missions do give you, um, the multi-moon, which is three moons, uh, Mm. which, which can be faster depending on the layout of the area. But I, I just did all the story stuff. Um, I, I did a lot of what I could see on the side. I gave each level a solid pass. Usually, um, by the time I beat that level's boss, I had enough moons to go on. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, was, was that about your way of doing things too? Yeah, pretty similar. I think for the most part, by the time I beat a boss, beat the boss, I had enough moons to progress there were a couple of occasions where i didn't um there were a couple of kingdoms that i moved through the critical path and moved on and i only came back and did the side challenges after i'd beaten the game yeah which which kind of worked out well for me because i think for example the kingdom i spent the least time in on the first time through was the snow kingdom oh yeah and I had, other than the critical path, I'd done nearly nothing in that kingdom at all. So 
coming back after beating the boss was great because there was a lot of stuff still to do and a lot of stuff to explore. So in inadvertently, my rush to see the next New Kingdom had kind of helped me later on. Yeah, the one I spent the least on was the Seaside Kingdom because yep. out of the two water levels in the game, one of them was polite and small um, and the other... <laughs> encouraged a lot of swimming and i was like no <laughs> i'm good <laughs> yeah. um so i i just dipped after i beat the boss on that one i i spent definitely the least amount of time um exploring but on on some of my favorite levels like the the metro kingdom new donk city and uh i really like the wooded kingdom as well on those i just stuck around and and did all the side quests i could find before moving on um, yeah, that that amount of freedom I I really like, but there's there's a different kind of freedom that I, I find lacking in this game a little bit, and maybe it just doesn't matter. Maybe I'm too old school for this, um, and all the kids out there playing today will have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, I think you could look at freedom in open world games in, in two different ways, which is you can solve something the way you want to solve it. But then also, you could choose what the thing is you want to solve. Um, in Super Mario Odyssey, you always need to get a bunch of moons from whatever level you're on to move on to the next one. And that uh, a, a small but critical difference between that structure and the structure of 64 and Sunshine is that uh, in, in 64, you have these star doors that only open if you have a certain number of stars but those stars can come from anywhere so if you go to cool cool mountain and super mario 64 realize that hey this thing's too steep i'm gonna fall off it all the time and i don't like the snow aesthetic which is like what's wrong with you it's one of the coolest in the game but if you don't like it um you don't need to play that level there are enough stars in other places to get you to where you need to go in Super yeah. Mario Odyssey, you need to give every level a fair shake. And uh, I thought that got a little... I thought that was a little much. I would have really appreciated if I could just get the stars or the moons that I need to proceed from any level uh, before moving on. And that wasn't the case in this game. Yeah, that's a good point. I think in um, what I liked about super mario 64 is that you know as you say like the the actual paintings where you enter the levels themselves weren't stargated you know they were the, the gates were these doors that were kind of where you kind of had hubs within hubs you know yeah. so you'd open a door that would give you access to multiple levels at once um and maybe in the case of super mario odyssey there's i don't know maybe there's just not enough uh kingdoms for that to work as well but i see what you mean and i and that was one thing i really liked about mario 64 was that you part of the excitement was you'd open a door to a new part of the castle and all of a sudden you had these choices you know which door do you do you want to go into kind of thing um and you could kind of go back and forth between different levels in a in that more open fashion um if if they do a sequel to this I think one thing, and, and this is such a cheap and easy thing to ask for, but if they do a sequel to this, I my number one thing is I'd definitely like to see 
more kingdoms. Yeah. Um, and, and <laughs> more, more, please. More the variety, same, but more. <laughs> the same, but more. Yeah. 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 I, I, as I say, I know that's really easy to ask for. And it might mean that if they do more kingdoms, it might mean there's less depth to each one. So there's probably a trade off going on there. But um, yeah, well, it's. I would assume that the sequel would have more because um, this game was three years in development, which compared to something like Breath of the Wild isn't that much, but compared to pretty much everything else is a long time. And I have to imagine that the biggest part of that development cycle was just getting the, um, the, the physics of the game, the way Mario moves, the capturing mechanic to work. Yeah. Um, and now that that's done, like in a sequel, all you would have to do, if you want to use the same engine, and I'm a, I'm a fan of when they do, uh, Majora's Mask, a lot of Pokemon games, Nintendo has a history of using the same engine to make their next game, and it, and it, it works out a lot of the time. Um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. look at Mario Galaxy and Mario Galaxy 2. Yeah. You know, I'd be really happy to see them do something similar here where they they've built this really great foundation and the sequel is all about how do we build on that foundation yeah um you know one one comparison i have between odyssey and specifically galaxy 2 is that galaxy 2 got rid of the hub world system that 64 sunshine and galaxy 1 had in favor of a map screen and that map screen has stayed around Mar- uh, from Galaxy 2 to 3D Land to 3D World and now Odyssey. Odyssey, where I thought for sure, if they're going to do an open world game, you have to have a hub. You, ne- you need to have a hub world connecting these levels together. And, and they don't, mostly because it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for a game based on traveling. Like, you can't have one area that connects to all these other areas if you're traveling across the world. Yeah. But I still want it. <laughs> um, like <laughs> I, I, I think it's not just a surface-level design choice. Uh, it makes a difference. Because when you have a map screen, one level needs to feed into the next level. And I, I, I feel like that is one of the issues that's promoted the whole um you can't always choose what it is you want to do at any time in odyssey you need to get all the moons from the level that you're on if you had a hub you could venture between levels a lot easier and in any order you wanted to as long as you had all of the um all of the prerequisites for entering that world you could go from one to four to two to five to three if you want. Um, that's what you did in Mario sixty four. That's what you did in Super Mario Sunshine. And um, if if there is an Odyssey two, that is my number one, uh, my number one ask for for a hub world of some kind to link the levels together. So that kind of freedom of uh, activity is is possible again. Hmm. Now, the, the freedom of choosing how to conquer an activity, that's there in full force. Uh, my favorite example of that is in the Sand Kingdom. You know the ruins just in the middle of the kingdom? Yeah. You can get to the top of those in like seven different ways. You can go 
you can capture bullet bills to go around different platforms. You can do triple jumps off the the stacks of uh, like sh sand shooting out of the ground. Or around back, there is a wall jumping challenge that if you go up there, you can just wall jump to the top. Uh, there, there's so many different ways you can do it. And yeah. that, is, that is great. That is uh, one of the best examples, in my opinion, in the whole game, other than in New Donk City has a couple of the same kind of thing. Uh, of just a, a really open-ended sandbox Mario experience. And that's yeah. I think they should chase that. That's really good. Yeah, definitely. Um, James, I wanted to talk about marketing. Because this game uh, is, is very much about surprise. We got a letter from Nintendo when they sent our uh, review copy about surprise. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, you you want to give the gist of that that letter? Yeah, I mean it was it was basically so it was a letter um, from Yoshiaki Koizumi and Kenta Motokura, who are the producer and director of the game, respectively. And it was really just it was very brief, and it was really just talking about the feeling that they wanted players to have when playing this game and what kind of feeling they were going for when they were designing it. And one of the things they said uh, toward the end of the letter was something along the lines of, you know, uh, because we want players to have this feeling, um, you know, they were kind of respectfully asking us not to, not to say, um, not to reveal any of the game's secrets before the launch at retail. That was basically the gist of it. Right. And it's interesting that they feel that strongly about it to write a letter to all of the potential reviewers of the game, considering how much Nintendo themselves gave away before the release of the game. Um, in the January Switch event, uh, before the Switch came out, it was the, the announcement of this game. And they showed off what we now know to be the Luncheon Kingdom, the Metro Kingdom, the Sand Kingdom, and the Wooded Kingdom. In E3, there was a bigger trailer for the game uh, after a really long radio silence about Mario Odyssey. And that showed off a ton of new, uh, new kingdoms as well. The Cap Kingdom, the Cascade Kingdom. Um, I, I think and that might have been it from that one, actually. But then there was a Nintendo Direct. Keep in mind, these are all from Nintendo. Nintendo wanted me to know about these things. They they put them out as a press release. T to people, to, to their general audience. That confirmed, after this Direct, we had already known about, and the full names of, the Cap Kingdom, the Cascade Kingdom, the Sand Kingdom, the Wooded Kingdom, the Metro Kingdom, the uh, Snow Kingdom, the Luncheon Kingdom, and we had already seen the Lost Kingdom because they showed a bunch of that, even though they didn't say what its name was. That's nine. And there aren't very many more than that. Mm. That's so much. And it for a game that relies on its uh, unique takes on atmosphere and tone, like every kingdom has a different art style, for that to be the surprise... That's giving away a lot of the surprise. Yeah. 
I, I felt like it, it genuinely had a negative impact on my enjoyment of the game. I still liked it a lot, but what do, what do you think about that? Was, was it way too much? Well, so I think one of the reasons that I was kind of, I wouldn't say rushing, but moving at a brisk pace through the story my first time around was because much as I loved what I was seeing, I was really hungry to see the kingdoms that I hadn't seen yet. And, you know, I would get to the point where I had enough moons to see the next kingdom and it was like, oh, we're going to the luncheon kingdom. And I was <laughs> I was kind of like, yay. You know, like it was great. <laughs> it was, don't get me wrong, it was great. I wanted to play the luncheon kingdom. But there was that big part of me that was sort of thinking, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, great, luncheon kingdom. Okay, what's next? What's next? Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. you, you, you know, as you go through the game with that attitude, you you very, very quickly get to a point where you're like, oh, hang on we're at the end now, like, you know, we're getting to the, the final boss already. Does that mean there isn't much more? And, you know, there are obviously um, other locations like the Mushroom Kingdom and there are locations like the dark side of the moon and, and that sort of thing and the darker side of the moon. But, yeah, you know, we're not talking about whole new kingdoms with totally different themes other than mushroom kingdom yeah Um, i think if if we were to talk about every kingdom in the game that was a full kingdom that wasn't a reused theme and wasn't confirmed before the game came out by nintendo themselves not in a leak by nintendo themselves we would be talking about the lake kingdom Bowser's yep. Kingdom and yep. the Moon Kingdom. That's it. Did but, they show uh, um, and M- Mushroom Mushroom Two? Um, yep. But I was just so I guess those four. And Mushroom is an interesting one because yes, yes, it's a kingdom unto itself, and you can get power moons and all the rest of it, and there are a few power moon challenges there but a lot of it a lot of its purpose is to be sort of a bush a a boss rush area mm-hmm. which which is fine but uh it it it's not like you're going to sand kingdom or new donk uh, you know metro kingdom for the first time where it's this kind of completely completely new location with all these power moon challenges that isn't drawing upon what you've already done yeah that, exactly that's exactly right um and I, I i guess the only thing i'd say is and, and this is i don't know how how other fans think of this but the way nintendo have approached uh, their game reveals probably since Breath of the Wild and kind of moving forward from that, if you think about the way they've done Nintendo Directs, the way they do the big Treehouse event at E3, they've started to get really, really good at doing these very fan-orientated deep dives on upcoming games, 
that build a lot of hype and interest. Mm-hmm. And the way they kind of parcel out the information over the year constantly keeps that game pretty hot in terms of there's always some sort of new coverage every two or three months. Um, yeah, I, it seems like the thing that really got them started with that was the way that they doled out character trailers for Super Smash Brothers for Wii U and 3DS. Yeah. Um, they kept that hot for over a year and a half. And that was the only thing people were talking about on, on the internet for a very long time. And it was weird because when the game came out, the sales didn't even reflect that very well. It sold a lot, but Mario Kart 8 sold more. Um, mm. All these other games that got a lot less buzz sold more. Um, so I'm not sure how well it did for them, but like they definitely understood that they can get the internet talking about one thing and only one thing for a very long time if they want. Um, but it requires them to give way more than what they would probably traditionally give a game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah, I don't know. It it and it's it this is where I'd really love to get feedback from from people that are listening because I think if you're working in game media in any capacity, so even if you're just a little dog and pony show, you know, doing uh you're just doing it out of love and whatever. Um you you know going into that that you're likely to be much more exposed to things because you're you're out there looking for information you might be going to these events you know you're watching you're watching the directs and you're communicating with the publishers and you're doing that in in part because that's your you know that's your gig and that's what your content's about but if you're not in that situation so if you're if you're a fan if you're a, a player and you're you know, you, you're just going along as normal and you're not diving into all of those things all the time. I really wonder what the experience is like for the average player where, you know, do they, do they end up picking up the game and feeling as though they've actually seen most of it and it's not, it's not as fresh and exciting as it otherwise would have been. As you said before, like it's much, much harder to avoid that content now. You know, once upon a time you could avoid you know reddit or whatever yeah now it's really everywhere yeah it it used to mean just avoiding leaks and Mm. i i guess i i trusted nintendo i i feel a little bit of a betrayal of trust not that sounds like a little more out there than it is but like i i anticipated that what they were giving me of super mario odyssey would at least be I don't know, less than half or maybe equal to half of, in this case, the levels in the game. And that is not the case. That They gave way more than half. And um, yeah, I, I don't think I would have watched those Nintendo Directs, or at least the third one. I don't think I would have even turned it on because those guys, I was just assuming that if it's in a Nintendo Direct, like, it can't give away too much. They would never jeopardize their own game feel, but I think they did. Um, and, and because it was Nintendo themselves doing that, I'm, 
I'm willing to say that the marketing of the game actually made the game a little worse, at least on my account. Um, mm. And it is their... I would say it's their fault. Yeah, I, I would say it's on them a little bit. Um, if if I knew that I that everything out of Nintendo wasn't necessarily like below the level of optimal spoilers or above the level, I guess I, 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 I would have done it differently, but I, I didn't because why would they, why would there be, why would Nintendo be the mm. person to, to make their game less surprising, especially when they're sending out letters saying that the key part of the game that they want people to experience is the surprise. Uh, but enough about that. James, there's a big question going around on the internet right now. Will this game get DLC? And the answer, James, go. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends. I think for me, it really depends what it is, you know, and, and what I mean by that is, uh, let's say they do a DLC pack. Are they going to add something to the existing kingdoms in the way they do when you finish the game and you unlock those big silver cubes, you know, that spread more moons around the world, is it going to be that? Or is it going to be, hey, now your Odyssey, you know, you were talking about those uh, those extra moons you can get on top of what you really need. Are they Are they kind of going to treat it like a level cap where they say, you know, now with those extra moons, you can actually travel somewhere else. You can travel to other kingdoms or other planets or whatever. Um, I would definitely be more excited if they had DLC that allowed us to visit completely new locations. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's always going to be my answer to that sort of question. But if they released a DLC that was reasonably priced and they added a lot of challenges to the existing kingdoms and it might mean like you know entering those uh, entering warp pipes that take you to different areas or whatever um i'd be pretty happy with that as well so long as it's um you know reasonably priced which i think from memory i think their dlc has been pretty good in terms of value generally um i would say that the core Nintendo EPD produced games or developed games like Mario Kart and Zelda have been yeah. fairly priced. There have been yeah. some shenanigans going on in the Fire Emblem corner of yeah. Nintendo's world. Um, not even just on the phone space, on the, the 3DS Fire Emblem Echoes, there's some stuff going on that is that is beyond what I ever thought Nintendo would do. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think in general it's been pretty fairly priced. I think if there was another $20 season pass like there was for Zelda, for Mario Odyssey, I'd buy it in an instant, um, especially if it was New Kingdoms. Yeah. Um, there was some promotional material going around with a map of Mario Odyssey, and it was official promotional material that had Isle Delfino from Super Mario Sunshine just off the coast of the Mushroom Kingdom. And yeah. that is not in the game. I kind of expected it to be in the game because I had seen that promotional material. And when I was unlocking levels at the end of the game, when I was unlocking the dark side of the moon and the darker side of the moon, I was like, okay, which one's which one of these is going to be Delfino? And it never was. 
and I was a little upset about that, but um, I can only assume now that that was planned DLC that didn't make the final cut. So maybe there's maybe it's that maybe it's Isle Delfino, um, and if that has a good if that is a good size like if it's Delfino Plaza the hub from Sunshine and there's I don't know sixty seems to be like an average number of moons from the bigger kingdoms if there's 60 or so moons in there that'd be great i'd i'd be into it that wouldn't be the full that couldn't be the full dlc if it's 20 dollars. that there'd have to be something else too but if it was that and maybe two other kingdoms that were new stuff i'd love it i'd love it a lot yeah i'd be pretty happy with that apparently this is the fastest selling mario game ever um, yeah, it. I saw that news about uh, North America, and uh, they oh, is just, it just North announced. Maybe, I don't want to overspeak then. Well, the only reason I say that is because they also just announced that it's the fastest-selling Mario game ever for Australia and New Zealand as well. Oh, wow! Uh, that that was announced a little bit after the the North American, the Nintendo of America announcement. So I don't know about. The other territories but you can, you can assume i think that globally it's probably the fastest selling i know uh new super mario brothers wii i think that was previously the number one am i right about that maybe i'm not i shouldn't be talking without a chart in front of me but um that, that sounds game, familiar though yeah that game yeah. um super mario 64 um, that didn't have the total sales of some of the other bigger Mario games because of the smaller uh, console install base of the Nintendo 64 versus other things. But, yeah. I mean, the launch of that game, if talking about fastest selling, I would assume that that beat everything. But apparently this game did, so that's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm very impressed. Yeah, I think... Um... It kind of goes back to what we said before about this being a good a good year for Nintendo. I think the Switch has had such a good first few months. Mm-hmm. And if they keep up with this cadence of kind of every second month, there's a big first party release. And then every month in between, there's at least one big third party release as long as all, uh, as well as all of the kind of indie releases every week. They, they seem to have that pattern down pat pretty well yeah if they can actually keep that going like if they if that keeps going next year um i think that's pretty incredible like it it gets to a point where as just as a value proposition for a console it's pretty hard to turn down yeah i i know a friend uh who she's she has not bought a switch yet but she's been saying since zelda came out like Zelda's pretty tempting, and she never had a Wii U. Um, she she was saying, "Hey, I'm I'm thinking pretty strongly about getting Zelda." But then some months passed, and she never did, uh, and and it kind of flew out of the back of her mind. But now that Mario has come out, she's like, "Okay, I'm actually I'm actually getting a Switch this time." Um, and as far as I know, the only games she's going to get are Zelda and Mario. So. It, 
there's there's been a lot of talk about like well you need you need x number of games to be like a legitimate buy for the casual gamer i don't think that's true i think the casual gamer plays very a, a lot fewer games than we would assume they do so two really really good games is a system seller um for a lot of people and i think with this game we're gonna see a lot of switches being sold especially as we get closer to black friday and the beginning days of december where all of the holiday sales happen it will uh we'll see whether the switch will actually sell more in its first year than the ps4 it's looking like it will um which is wow it, coming from the wii u era that was not the assumption um that's gonna do it for this episode thank you so much for talking about super mario odyssey with me james yeah my pleasure if you want to write into the Super Jump podcast, have your voice, have your, well, not your voice, have your words, at least, read by my voice on the show, you can do that. You can write in at podcast at superjump.online. The email address is podcast at superjump.online. I think someone said they were going to write in, and no one's wrote in so far, so I'm worried that someone did dot com. But it's not that. It's podcast at superjump.online. At the end of every episode of the show, we like to give out after-school activities. Uh, And these are things that have nothing to do with the topic of the show, but we think could tide you over until the next Superjump podcast. And this week, we've actually chosen the same thing for the first time. Uh, James, (laughs) do you want to do it? Yeah, well, uh, we talked about how big October 27th was, Mm -hmm. and we've had a whole episode about Mario, but uh, we can't go without talking briefly about Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus. Um, Right. I I got this uh, probably, I don't know, a couple of days ago. I I only just got it, but I've played the hell out of it, and I think... I think I'm relatively close to the end, um, and I'm loving it. I really loved the first game. I was really surprised by how good the first game was. Um, so I ac- and I actually went back in the last month and finished it because I'd never completed it. So I actually went back and finished it to prepare for this one, and I'm really enjoying this one. It's it's just like a really. Um, even though it has a fantastic story and characters and all the rest of it, it is kind of a bit of a... <sighs> Relaxing is the wrong word, but it can kind yeah. of be a bit mindless shooter at times in the best way possible. Uh, I, would, I, would, I would go... I would say that it's above and beyond that. Um, BJ Blaskowitz. I mean, his name is BJ Blaskowitz. Has always appeared in the Wolfenstein, uh, the Wolfenstein series as kind of a generic shooter dad man that has become a bit of a trope now. Um, he's basically a linebacker with a shotgun. Mm. And in the first modern Wolfenstein game, being the New Order, being uh, the 2000... What is that? 13? 14? Uh, I think it was 14, yeah. That game um, turned that character into this deeply tragic, introspective character that rivals a lot of the 
best characterizations in video games while still being a linebacker with a shotgun. <laughs> and, uh, and, and in this game, that, that, that uh, whole spirit of B.J. Blazkowicz and learning about what makes him tick and his feelings about Nazis. He's not just a guy that shoots Nazis. He's a guy that like has very real reasons, like very mm. palpable, uh, sim- easy to sympathize with reasons for why these Nazis are absolutely the thing that needs to go at any given point. Um, su- such an interesting story. Um, and, and, yeah. and the shooting's great too. The shooting, it, it works out. It's a shooter with a reason to be a shooter while having yeah. an interesting story, which, uh, like, I, I think Bioshock may have had some problems with that. Everyone loves Bioshock, but I've always had an issue with, um, how the story it's telling doesn't exactly match the gameplay that it's feeling like. Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, definitely does. It's highly recommended. We we ask that you check it out if you want something to check out. And if, if you don't want to do that, you know, Mario Odyssey is good too. Um, before we see you again, I will be coming at you next week with an interview with a YouTuber. And I'm not going to say his name yet. We'll find out next week. But uh, he has appeared on Did You Know Gaming a couple times as a voice. And he has a very popular independent YouTube channel that I respect a lot. So those are your hints. <laughs> those are your hints for who that is. Um, and no, it will never be JonTron. So until next time, you can find Superjump, the the online magazine, at superjump.online. That is our Medium page where we post all of our new reviews. By the time this comes out, maybe you'll see a Super Mario Odyssey review. Actually, I shouldn't promise that. Maybe not. Who knows? It might take some time. Um, you can follow Superjump on social media at facebook.com or twitter.com slash superjumponline, all one word. And once again, if you could, if you have any time, I'm actually talking to you. <laughs> if you had any reason to review us on iTunes, we would really appreciate that. It does mean the difference. It means all the difference in the world to us. Um, but that's that. Sorry again for making you wait an extra week. Um, we hope this extra long episode made it up to you. Um, until next week, we'll jump at you next time. Stay super.